You are listening to On the Shoulders of Dwarves, a weekly podcast about role-playing games and role-playing gamers. On the Shoulders of Dwarves. Hello and welcome to On the Shoulders of Dwarves, a weekly podcast about role-playing games and the people who play them. My name is Rana Viram. And my name is Uri Lifshitz. Hello! And today we'll discuss a heavy, bulky topic, uh, information dump, but we will try to sort of separate it into fluffy, uh, colorful, interesting bits because we would like to avoid information dumps and just concentrate on the cool, tiny little aspects of data that the players need to understand, needs to assimilate into them. Interesting. Iran, what is an information dump? Information dump is a colloquial term to pouring a lot of information, mostly exposition, that is information that is needed in order for the story to happen, to be understood, on the players or on the viewers, if you are talking about something like a TV show. A good example would be when someone comes along and just starts to explain things to the players. As you know, this city is ruled by this and this government, and they do this and this. That's not a good way for players to assimilate knowledge, first of all, because it is very obviously a piece of exposition. And so it, it takes you out of the immersion, takes you out of the world and back into the table. And, and you only see your friend, the GM, telling you stuff. And second of all, it's, it just doesn't really work that well, because when you push a lot of information in a very short amount of time, the player will only remember bits of it, and probably none of them will be interesting to them, so they won't care about remembering anymore. In case you are wondering why so many films and TV shows have a new guy that suddenly joined the team, that is because they need someone to explain things to, so they could in a roundabout way, explain things to us, the viewers. So let us get into the details. There are many, many aspects to this because information is a big topic and we actually talked about it from various aspects in a lot of past episodes, which we will refer to. Uri, how would you uh, look at this? Where, where, would, where to begin? Well, let's start at the very, very first rule that everyone keeps talking about, and that is show, don't tell. If you have something that you want your players to understand, show it to them. Don't say, this city is ruled by a group of barbarians who took over the city 14 years ago and are now the supreme rulers. Instead, show me that this city is ruled by a group of barbarians. Have one of the ruling barbarians roam through the street, yelling at people, killing people offhandedly. Let me see the effect. The trick to doing that is actually pretty simple. Think what would be the effect of whatever it is you want to tell your players and show them these effects and let them piece together themselves or once you pick their interest, let them search for it. For example, if you want your players to know that there is a fearsome dragon up north, you could say, well, and of course there's the great red dragon up north, but you can also let your players discover this by having them seeing some burned bodies or abandoned villages or caravans of refugee heading south. This would automatically tell them, okay, there is something dangerous up north. The villages are abandoned. We see a lot of burned bodies, something that burned people. Interesting. We, we may need to explore this. 
A big part of showing and not telling, I find, is rooted in expectations and the glasses. And by that I mean the personal viewpoint of each character, not player, but character. So for example, if we have an elf from the woodlands and in the party, and she is a sage that knows a lot about herbs and stuff, I would show her, instead of telling, that aspect of the information, and I will color it in all sorts of herbalism, not, not terms, because I know nothing about herbalism terms, but probably uh, invented colorful nature stuff. And that will suit her glasses, because everyone has glasses. Everyone is wearing a specific pair of glasses that show them the world in a specific way, and everyone has expectations. So when, for example, I want to show that the land was ruined by the dragon, I will explain to her this forest was burned down by unnatural fires. It wasn't the natural cycle of fire and rebirth that usually happens in every many dozens of years in most forests. Uh, you can see that there are no acorns in the ground ready to uh, sprout, which is part of the natural cycle. So for her, this will be the main aspect to focus on. This is how she will receive this information. This is how her player, of course, will receive eventually this information. If this was a warrior or fighter or something, I would probably just say this looks like a battlefield. It, it looks like a place that was completely burned down as if by a malicious force that intended to level it so they'll be able to see for many miles around and to reduce all of their enemies to ashes. And both of these things are correct, but both of them are personal, which makes it more interesting and for the player easier to digest. Now they just understand this as part of how the character understands the world. And that's also how I personally use boxed text in published adventures. I run almost only published adventures and all of them has boxed texts and that's not a bad thing. We've talked actually about it quite a lot in the past. The way I read out boxed text is by personalizing it. Every sentence or two I stop reading it out loud and look into the eyes of a specific player and elaborate in some way. And that makes this box of literally telling into a bit more of a show because now I make it personal somehow. And I, I, when I look at them, it is no longer just a person reading out loud. Now it's a conversation. I allow them to ask me back questions, perhaps. They know they shouldn't because they should probably wait until the end. But if I, I say something very specific, maybe I can add a bit about it and sort of answer a question before it was being asked. And it feels like a conversation and not like someone reading out box text. Hmm. Finally, of course, we won't get too much into it, but this is true for characters as well. If you have a feature as a player for your character that you would like to express, do express it, don't tell about it. Uh, just do the thing in the game. And that is how it will become part of the game. And that is how this bit of information, my character is X, is best utilized. But we won't get into it because we have an whole episode about it. Episode 11, just go there and, and listen to that if you are a player. Another way that I love to deliver information is as entertainment. Sometimes the delivery of the information can be entertaining by itself. Notice that I'm talking about the delivery and not the information itself. The information does not need to be entertaining. Our whole problem is that the information itself is not interesting. 
It's something that we need to know in order to get to the interesting bit. So what I try to do is I try to sneak the information to my players disguised as something else. And one of my favorite is jokes. For example, if I want my players to know about Mr. Gold, the most wealthy man in town and the villain of this current campaign, I will use the opportunity that they're walking down the street past someone who tells a joke or if they're in the stand-up show and have someone tell a joke regarding Mr. Gold. Like, uh, have you noticed that Mr. Gold bought a new sword from the blacksmith? Well, apparently the old one got blood on it, so he just had to replace it. <laughs> you can also use phrases and colloquialism. No, man, I can't give you a discount on that grenade launcher. Who do I look like, Mr. Gold? Hell no, I work for a living. Amongst my favorite is also motivational posters, newspaper headings, and bar tales. The job of all of which is to deliver information, but they all try to do that in an interesting way. So if I will describe to my players the motivational posters they see at the office they're currently in, I could use that to slip a lot of information. And you can use anything the players are currently doing to deliver information in a more entertaining way. Our next point is information as background. If there is some important information you want to deliver to your players, you can hide it as a minor detail in something that really interests them. For example, I really want my players to be interested in the ruling system of my kingdom. I've invested a lot of time and effort in developing this really interesting ruling system of five different wizards that all rule different parts of the city and have this whole political web of intrigue against one another. But none of my players is interested. So I could provide that as a minor details in our current heist plot. Saying something like, okay, you discover that the best time to break into the vault would be doing the third wizard birthday celebration. And they immediately know that there's a few wizards and that the third one have a birthday and it's a big deal. So adding that information as background to something that the players do find interesting is an excellent way to slip past more information without them noticing, without it being a whole information dump. I have some things to add about it, but I want to do it in my summary in the end. For now, I just want to say that it is probably best to pick like three things that you really need your players to know and put them in the first few scenes as sort of uh, these tidbits uh, as part of the background. From everything we suggested so far, this is probably the one that requires most preparation because you need to think about a specific detail that is small enough and put it as the background of something else and you need to think what is important to you and what not and you need to plan where you are going to place it. It's probably worth it. That's quite a lot of work, at least for me, to plan these things, to think about, for example, a birthday. I would not think of a birthday. I need to sit down and think of, wait, I need my players to know about these wizards. I need some way to make something about the important. Mm, a date, mm, a birthday, that would work well with the heist, yes. That's a lot of work for me, as one who likes to run published adventures. But it's important work, I think. And that's one of the reasons I suggest doing it with like only three bits of information. Like, really, what's really important, what's really needed 
what would not be just a nice to have bit information like colorful uh, data about the world around, but something that is actually crucial for something that is going to happen next, eventually, a revelation about the wizards or about, or about one of the wizards or whatever. For that, the players, of course, need to know that there are wizards, so we need this information, etc. Our next suggestion is to have information given as a reward. One of the classic ways for a GM to deliver information to the party is to ask for a roll. Okay, please roll an ability check, a perception check. How much did you get? Oh, that's high. Cool. So you, Pilin, have gathered that this town is a little more than a mining post, probably surviving only because these old mountains still have some copper left in them. Instead of just saying, this is a dump and there's some mountains and they're probably mining, I've made this a little bit more interesting because this was given as a reward for a role or for some work invested by the characters. If one of the players would say, okay, I go and I speak with the bartender trying to get some more information, I may not even ask for a role. From my perspective, that players have made an effort. They deserve a reward. And giving information as a reward is really fulfilling because... The player has done something, or at least feel that they've earned this. So it automatically gets more respect and more attention than simply something I gave to them. This could also be done by deciphering puzzles and riddles and, and other clues. In my old campaign, I used to use these a lot. Pretty much all my villains love sending coded instructions to their minions because it was a very easy way for me to deliver information and information that was rewarding to my players. When my players defeated one of the main minions, they would find a letter with coded instructions. And because I already know that they will find a letter with a coded instruction, I could make a handout with some sort of a puzzle in it, a simple code or something like that. And then both the characters and my players would need to invest the time to decode that message. And then they had a real sense of achievement, which made the reward all the more interesting. I would just want to add uh, something important for you, GMs. Don't hold information. Share it. Put it out there. Let the players absorb it. Give them maybe even too much information and force them to sift through it and understand what is important. We talked a lot about this in our episode about mystery plots and also about running mystery games, uh, which is not the same episode. There are two different games. <laughs> there are two different ones. Because what's most fun for players usually is understanding the information and, and sifting through it and filling up gaps and understanding how things work together and uh, accumulate into a coherent whole. And getting information is usually rolling a die. And that's not an interesting thing. It, it might be um, exciting, but it's not an interesting thing about information. It's just rolling a die. So give them the information and then let them do whatever they want with it. Let's talk about real-world comparisons and agreed-upon markers. Sometimes it's so much easier to give a real-world comparison that would make everything clear for our players. Mm. I myself many times simply told my players, okay, you arrived to this new kingdom. It is very much modeled after ancient Rome. 
And my players immediately know what I'm talking about. Okay, supposedly there's a Senate. This is a very cultural place. It has a large army. It's probably an empire. And I don't need to provide a lot of information because this is something we all know. And unlike everything we've mentioned before, I highly suggest in these cases to simply tell and don't show. Well, you, t- you tell so little. You just, you just say, this is like... You, you know that? Then it's like that. I do the same with, uh, by the way, uh, pirate things. When we got to something in 50 Fathoms, I told everyone, because we all saw Black Sails, which is a great, great show. You know that thing mm-hmm. from Black Sails? So it's like that. And I, I would, I'm not sure it's even telling. It's referring to showing. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's lead by example. And because sometimes there's such a wealth of information and you can't describe all of it. Uh, simply say, okay, this is just like that Farscape episode where they're mining inside the dead body of a huge creature. Mm. This is pretty much the same. However, there is a little warning here. Make sure that everyone are familiar with the thing you're referring. Otherwise, it just creates a really weird vibe inside the group where some people get it and some people don't. I also like to use agreed-upon markers if I have recurring things. For example, in one of my old, old games, my players would be angry because they would constantly get ambushed. And at a certain point, one of my players said, hey, you didn't say this place has anything that could be used to ambush us. So we simply created an acronym called TIPA. TIPA is short for this is a perfect place for an ambush. And when I would describe a place, okay, this is a valley, green fields, there's a winding road, very picturesque, Tipfa. So all my players would know that this is a perfect place for an ambush. So they wouldn't be surprised if an ambush occurs. But this is a, an extreme example. You can have really, really simple markers, preferably one that refer to past events with this group. You go into the King's Hall, And it is amazingly decorated, much like the Emperor's Court in which you have previously visited. Okay, so instead of adding more and more description, you simply use a referral, compare it to something that the players and characters already know, to make the whole comparison and description easier. And I would like to give one final tip, which I think should always be used, and it kind of ties in with what you said, Iran, about the glasses. information dump should be connected to the characters themselves. If you provide some piece of information, one of the characters knows something. Why? Because they're special or different or had something that made them know this. For example, if I want my players to know something, instead of just saying that, I want to tie it to a specific character. To say something like, well, since Ulai is a high elf, She is familiar with the death rituals of the Elven Nation and can tell you that this kind of event is likely due to the death of a nobleman or someone very important inside the city. Now, I've used this chance to provide more information about Ulai, about the High Elves, and specifically to give a good excuse to why I'm dumping this information. It's not just because I want them to know. It's because... They have a high elf. It's because she knows what's going on. And by tying this to a specific character, 
it gives me a chance to highlight them, to give some background information on them or their legacy or heritage or place in the world, and make them feel more special, thus making them actually listen to whatever it is I'm saying. Excellent. Excellent. So to, to sum it all up, or from my perspective at least, I would like to focus on something that we haven't actually addressed so far, and that's the question of what is important? If exposition is delivering information that is important, how do you know what is important? And for that, I would like to quote from an email that we got and was actually the initiator for this whole episode. An anonymous bee <laughs> wrote to us about a big problem that she has with the delivery of information. She said, I'm great with giving out the details of the city, the sites and smells and NPCs, but I just don't know how to explain to them, them that is the PCs, how the government works and why it works like it does. When I do this as a conversation with NPCs, the players are bold. And I had to ask myself, is it important how the government works? Uh, she didn't said that in the letter. And so let's, let's approach it from this angle. Are the players expected to interact with this bit of the world? Either the government matters to the game or it doesn't. Let's see what happens now. If it doesn't, then there's no need to expand more than the players are interested in hearing. Uh, you can, as a GM, confront them with the governance in action and give them an opportunity to ask questions. Like, for example, uh, something that Uri mentioned before, and, and I will elaborate in a different way. In front of the inn, there's an auction of items that are said to be confiscated according to the law of foreigners without explaining anything about this. There are just people shouting numbers and figures and they buy all sorts of items that were apparently confiscated according to some law. The party can ask about this. They can participate, maybe even. They can interact with this. Now, it's something that happens in the world. And that might lead them to ask, what is the law of foreigners? Why is there a law of foreigners? And how come things can be confiscated? Or they can ignore this and go to the inn, which is what they were here for in the first place. But it can be even much more subtle than that. It's the information background that Uri talked about before. When the PCs buy equipment, the seller hands them a piece of paper with an official prayer on it instead of a receipt. Or says something like, not including the hog tax, of course. And the players can then ask about something because something happened in the game that is not important to what they were here for. This might make the government interesting to the players and therefore it might become a topic that matters to the game. Because now the players might want to do something with it. And that's of course an ideal way of making it important. If you want the government to be important, if, it's, if you know it's going to be important because you want the players to get captured by the government or embroiled in some way in the politics, then do something like this in order to make the players make it important to themselves. They decide that it's important because something interests them and they just flow with it. If it was already important to the game, if it already really mattered to you, because as you said, you wanted them to be involved in politics, do the same, but not just casually in the background. Instead, make sure that the characters get into some sort of situation created as a direct result of the way things are handled in town. For example, when they enter the town, usually in most games, I would completely ignore that part. It doesn't matter that there are guards at the entrance and that they ask for tax, etc., which is something that usually happens in medieval towns. 
in real world medieval towns. I would completely pass that it, it does not matter to most of my games. But if in this case it matters, then I will stop there and will make this into a tiny little scene, even if it's not too long, I will make it important by referring to it, by creating that scene. M maybe not more than just stopping and asking the players some questions and then they continue on into the city and the players might then ask themselves, why did this happen? Why did the GM just... Maybe they didn't, don't actually ask themselves it, but they will think about it. Why did the GM just made us stop at the town entrance and get asked these questions by the guards? This is suspicious. This, this now matters. Now I'm untrusty of the authorities. I'm now not sure that I like these guards because I was asked. Even though technically, probably, they were asked in every town before. But we never stopped to talk about it. So that's my summary. What's yours? Well, information is beautiful and interesting, and if it's not, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> okay. <laughs> also, there's an amazing website called Information is Beautiful, and I highly recommend it. <laughs> if you guys want to send us emails, if you have suggestions for topics for future episodes, or you want to comment on things that we said before, or you have a question about something happening in your game, send us an email to show at dwarfcast.net, or you can also find us at Facebook where we have a group where we answer questions and reference whatever it is that you want us to reference. Um, or on Twitter where we have Dwarf Podcast as our handle. Uh, that's it. I think it's time to take the load off. This world is carried on the shoulders of the war. This is the part of the show in which we talk about role-playing games in our own personal quarantined lives. Uri, what have you been doing? I've been doing so much playtesting, and I hate playtesting because while it does make everything you do better, it just keeps adding work yes. and more work, yes. and then it, things get better, but they need to be worked on. Ugh. I've done two playtest runs of my latest adventure, Starcrossed Curses, and a friend of mine did a test run of a new collaborative storytelling whose purpose is to see if you manage to convey your meaning. And it revolves around intimacy and dating and one-night stands. So it's really hard to get it to work just right. It's a really fun challenge, but the playtesting and uh, making it better phase is daunting. Uh, very much agreed. I'm in like version 3 of uh, Menagerie of the Void, my uh, single player game of creating a menagerie in the void. Uh, and it's so different from the first one. And every step on the way is, is hard and annoying because it's so frustrating to destroy things that you created before and you're so sure that they should have worked, but they did not work. And now you need to do something else. But my own thing that I'm doing now is I'm starting Adventures in Middle-Earth. Uh, using Roll20, we'll be mm. playing this Tolkien-based D&D 5 conversion by Cubicle 7, uh, which is very, very good, and I never thought I would get to play it, but now I do, thanks to... Um, well, it's a strange collaboration of various people from all around the world. We got to uh, create a, a party, and now we'll be playing this every Sunday for two hours, and then I will continue to play Forge of Fury two hours after that. Uh, that's uh, intense, but awesome and great. And that's it, I think. Um, if you want to contact us, we've already told you before, but there is also another final secret way to contact us. Can you find it? Do you know what it is? 
we will never tell. להתראות! shared under creative commons by attribution non-commercial for. Intro and outro are by the cliche dio. And you can email us at show at dwarfcast.net. On the shoulders of dwarves. We will never tell.